Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. How are you? And welcome to the show. This, of course, is the DL Link Show on 101.9 Chai FM, where we connect you through insights, information, and illumination. Oh, it's lovely to hear some good news. It's good to hear that the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccination is uh, rolling out. It's going well. It's one vaccination. And yes, we need to celebrate these small, small little victories. Now, listen, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Um, we we focused so much on the immune system in the past year uh, with COVID, and we've looked at the kind of food you should be eating, the kind of supplements, um, what, how you should be living your life in terms of boosting an immune system. Well, we're going to be looking at an immune system, but from a very different perspective today. I'm really delighted um, to have Professor Bernardo Rappaport on the show today. We've had him before. It's always a pleasure because we, he's going to be updating us on immunotherapy and the immune system is involved in the immunotherapy. But I, I, I don't want to uh, say anything because I certainly am not the expert, but um, the, it, it really is good news. And this, of course, coming out of the European Society for Medicine. Medical Oncology Africa Summit, which took place on the 15th of February. So I'd like to welcome Professor Bernardo Rappaport um, onto the show to tell us more. Professor, welcome. As always, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being with, working with you guys also. And, and for us too, Professor. So you've just um, had this uh, summit which took place on the 15th of February and uh, the new indications for cancer immunotherapy treatment. And you heard my introduction talking about the immune system. Um, so before we actually break down what immunotherapy is all about, Professor, and how it works, perhaps we could just look at cancer as a whole in South Africa and um, the prevalence of cancer in South Africa at the moment? The prevalence of cancer in South Africa is like a, very similar to globally. It is expected that, that the one in three people will develop cancer in the lifetime. During the lifespan, people can develop a, like a one in three. And the, there is also an increased incidence of malignancies and cancers with age. So people are living longer. So the longer you live, the more likely to develop cancer. That, that is one of the things. Although it can happen in young people also, the, most of the patients, the longer they live, the higher the chance of getting the cancer. In South Africa, you have other types of diseases associated, like, for example, like esophageal cancer and the mesothelioma, that is the cancer of the layer of the lung. That is also a, uh, like, like typical from exposures with asbestos. So there are a number of uh, cervix cancer also is very prevalent here among uh, young women, uh, uh, history of uh, human papilloma virus infection. So certain types of cancer occurs more in different regions of the world than in other places. And, and Professor, I know this may not be an, an easy question to answer, but if you had to go back 10, 15 years, so you're saying one in three people um, in South Africa are going to get cancer. Has that increased in the last 10 to 15 years? Is it, I, 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 I get this question a lot. Eh? It's, it's yes. difficult to say. No, no, it's difficult to say because, first of all, people live longer, number one. Wow. As well. uh -huh. But now the, the people are not so scared and then um, – they go for medical consults and they pick up malignancies and can be very treatable, a lot of them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. 
And also in the old days, they didn't use to diagnose it so easily like now. Now there are new diagnostic techniques. So you do CT scans, you do the, like a MRI scans, you do different blood tests, and you can pick up the disease earlier and easier. So sometimes people in the past they used to die and we didn't know why, or they used to have diseases that they were not so sure, like 40 or 50 years ago. And now it's more it's easier to diagnose. You know, that's what I'm trying to say now. Mm, I hear you. So there's a lot more awareness and, and the numbers are going up with And that. it's also easier to pick it up also, you know, that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, I hear that. Um, uh, Professor, this immunotherapy, we, we've spoken about immunotherapy before, um, this kind of treatment, but after this uh, summit that took place on the 15th of Feb, I know that there were new insights um, and perhaps some new findings that, that you can share with us. But before we get there, immunotherapy treatment, you heard me talk about the immune system. Everyone's talking about the immune system. How is immunotherapy connected to the immune system? How does it work? The, the problem with patients with cancer is that the, the immune system is generally depressed. So what you do is uh, including the T cells uh, that are responsible for fighting foreign things, including uh, infections and viral infections, and also including uh, uh, the cancer disease also. So the, 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 the T-cells, they don't react very well. The, the, the immune system, it can be switched on when the, you need to fight uh, an infection or cancer, and can be switched off also uh, normally once, once you achieve that uh, goal. The immune system switches off. Now, what happens is that the the cancer has the ability to switch off the immune system anyway, not that it happens normally that is tightly regulated. So what you do is you can switch on by giving a monoclonal antibody that you must express, for example, uh, some uh, PDL1 that is a protein responsible for switching off the immune system and makes it to switch off. If you go and you give a, a monoclonal antibody there, the, the T cell will be working again. And that, that is a, the basis of the immunotherapy, that you get the T cells to work uh, normally or even overworked. And then uh, the, 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 the T cells react against the malignancy and can kill the malignancy. So your own immune system will go and destroy the, the malignant cells instead of letting them grow. That's the basis of the immunotherapy. Now, we spoke to you before. We've been working with this treatment modality for more than 10 years uh, on clinical trials in, in the beginning and then there were some uh, registered indications and we treated through commercial stock on some patients. And sometimes we do it through what we call expanded access programs that they give the, the drug and they make it available to patients. Now, uh, in the last couple of years, the indications for immunotherapy broadened or there were additional treatments on the same disease. For example, one of the diseases that we treat is a malignant melanoma and then it remains like that. The, the, but it was broadened out because you can give it earlier in the course of the illness, and it's also shown to be effective. In the other days, we used to do it with metastatic disease, when the tumor spread. Now, we do it to, to give the immunotherapy also on patients that they remove the cancer and there's no evidence of disease also. So that, that's one indication globally that was approved. In lung cancer, non-small cell type is a, one of the subsets. Before, we used to give it alone. Now, if the patient expresses, like, or the tumor, a receptor called PDL1, if the PDL1 is uh, high, you could give immunotherapy and use immunotherapy as a monotherapy. Now, it's new data that you can combine it with chemotherapy 
and independently of the expression of PDL1, you can use it on everyone. Another disease that was uh, globally approved was uh, the, for the usage of small cell lung cancer. Then also on bladder cancer, you have an indication to use uh, immunotherapy. You can use on kidney cancer also, on hematological malignancies, on Hodgkin's disease, and also the also indications on the head and neck cancer. So there is a number of diseases in South Africa. They approve six indications, but globally there is evidence that this treatment modality will keep on, uh, they train on every type of cancer, and it's easier to say in which malignancies don't work. You know, like, for example, on pancreas cancer, it's not so good, or in sarcomas. But on this, one way or the other, it can, can work. Um, there is also on breast cancer, a subtype called triple negative breast cancer, that also on patients with advanced disease and patients with early disease, it looks like very promising results also. Sure. That sounds outstanding, Professor. Let's take a break. After the break, I just want to go back to the idea that you can use this immunotherapy, you said, with surgery, and you've also mentioned with chemotherapy. I just want to talk a little bit more about that. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be right back. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back uh, to the DL Link Show. We're talking about immunotherapy. I have Professor Bernardo Rappaport um, on the line. Um, he is uh, with the Medical Oncology Center of Rosebank and also an extraordinary professor at the Department of Immunology, Faculty of Health Science at the University of Pretoria. Um, before we continue with the discussion, we see the the, the rise in numbers as uh, Professor Rappaport spoke. One in three people in South Africa will get cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, more and more people are going, they're being diagnosed, people are living longer. Um, but with that, there are also a lot of positive insights, lots of positive treatments, um, responses to treatments, and especially um, after the European Society for Medical Oncology Africa Summit, which took place on the 15th of February, uh, Professor Rappaport was going over the six different cancers um, that immunotherapy can be used on. Um, so so, uh, Professor Rappaport, just before the break, I said to you, I'm, I'm so interested. I, I, so, so when there's something like breast cancer, you said, so if they, let's say, for example, um, part of the treatment was surgery, you can then use the immunotherapy. How does it work with chemotherapy? Because maybe I misunderstand, like chemotherapy kind of kills all the cells, and here you are um, building up the T cells, which would fight the cancer. How, how does that work? Well, it's not true. The, 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 the chemotherapy kills a lot of the cells, but not all of them. Okay. No, that, that one of the things that happen is that uh, with certain chemotherapies, you get the T cells to work better. It's uh, the data that is uh, coming now. And then uh, that, um, also you have a, the immune system has cells that suppress the immune system. Like uh, we call it T-regulatory cells or some immunosuppressive macrophages or neutrophils. Now, one of the things that the chemotherapy does is that kills those cells also, so the T cells can have room to work better. This is one of the theories how it works, you know, it was shown. Um, and then uh, combining the two of them, like for example, in lung cancer is the base for example, you can get very good responses independently of the fact that the, uh, you, the tumor might not express PDL1. Also, when you get chemotherapy, um, you get uh, a lot of release of antigens, or what we call neoantigens. So uh, the particles of the of the cancer cell that is dying, it becomes immunogenic and makes the T cells to react more also. 
to, to, to explain in a, in a simplistic way, yeah. Yeah, so that's, uh, wow. So, so for some of the cancers, you're saying that the chemotherapy and the immunotherapy actually work very well together. Yeah, they, they, work well they kind of complement one another. I hear it's that. Synergistically or in conjunction, yeah. Right. So, um, uh, see, hold on. We... Five or six years ago, we used to yeah. have to give only immunotherapy alone. Now you have combinations of treatments with immunotherapy and chemotherapy, or with combination of treatment with two different immunotherapies. Like, for example, it was shown that if you use melanoma, with the tumor spread to the brain, you can use a combination of uh, two different immunotherapies that works better. And also you can use it with the anti-angiogenesis agents that blocks the formation of blood vessels, either with antibodies or with small molecules. And this is an example very well shown on the treatment of renal cell cancer, that if you give it, uh, both treatments are um, effective, the anti-angiogenesis and the immunotherapy, but when you combine the two of them, it works a lot better. It's like a potentiating one another. Wow. So are there side effects when you have uh, the immunotherapy? Yes, it's, uh, there are those side effects. I'm glad that you're asking me. Although it's not as uh, toxic uh, as chemotherapy, the immunotherapy, uh, the doctor must be acquainted with the side effects, which are called immune-related adverse events. So they are, uh, instead of having the side effects like before that you used to have drop on the blood counts and resource infection, with chemotherapy, or you used to have also like uh, nausea and vomiting or hair loss. Uh, this is more uh, side effects related to the overactivation of the immune system. And therefore, you get inflammation of different organs. You can get colitis, you can get pneumonitis, you can get different dermatitis. And the, the, the real side effects uh, associated with this is also dropping on the blood counts, but not so common. And then uh, you can get inflammation of the eyes. You call it uveitis. When the eye gets inflamed, it's not common that. And also it can attack the immune, the, the endocrine system. You can get the thyroiditis or you can get hypophysitis or it can attack the adrenal glands. So the doctor that is treating the patient must be very acquainted on how to monitor the patient because you have to be vigilant. If you don't treat it uh, or you don't pick up the side effects, you might get up a terrible uh, Toxicity after it's better to, to get early detection and recognition and early intervention on these patients. Mm-hmm. And there are guidelines on how to manage immune related adverse events also. Yeah, because I mean, you, you're saying that they work well together, but a combination of the chemotherapy and immunotherapy, one would have to be very careful, as you say, with these side effects. So the, for example, the chemotherapy, one side effect we are all familiar with is the loss of hair. And once the chemotherapy is over, hair starts to grow again. You're talking That's about right. all these, right. And, and you're talking about some of these side effects, um, the endocrine system. And you said a whole lot of other, others, which unfortunately I didn't catch all of them. Are these all also, could these return to normal afterwards, or could these be long-term? Well, some of them not, some of them yes. And most of the side effects are transient, but uh, for example, if you get the thyroiditis, which is the thyroid, the adrenal, or the hypophysial gland, it might not come back to normal, and you might have to work together with an endocrinologist to manage these patients. We have a couple of patients that, that, uh, that require that. The good news is that those conditions, you do hormone replacement therapies of the different types, and they all do well, eh? you know. Exactly. So if you have to choose between having a normal hormonal imbalance as opposed to getting you know, like a cancer progressing, I mean you don't have much of a choice, you know. Those are those, those the, the hormonal imbalances or hypothyroidism can be managed very easily, you know. 
Mm-hmm. And how is the immunotherapy administered? I beg your pardon. Yeah. So uh, normally we give it uh, intravenously here. Uh, it's an infusion that takes approximately 45 minutes to an hour. And now we participated also in those clinical trials that you can give it subcutaneously also. It's not giving it intravenously. You can give it under the skin and the patient can go home. So, so it's a, it's a much easier than administering chemotherapy, giving immunotherapy. So immunotherapy is easier to administer. It's less toxic also. Although it has unique toxicities that are different and requires monitoring as a global thing, it's less toxic than the chemotherapy and it's more effective also. Mm. The, the one point to mention also is that when yes. the immunotherapy works, it produces durable remissions. That means that the remissions last for very long. As opposed to chemotherapy, that the cancer cell is clever and developing mechanisms to uh, overcome resistance, like with antibiotics. You know, you hear always a hospital acquiring infections that the, 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 the bacteria gets resistant to a particular chemo or antibiotic. That's what happens with this also. You get the chemo drugs that become a, 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 the cancer cell develop mechanisms to, and they become resistant to, to that particular chemo drug. Resistant to chemotherapy drug is a major cause of your mm. failure of anti-cancer treatment. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So thank you, Professor. I really appreciate it. So that, this is good news. I mean, this is good news. We, we talk about, so immunotherapy. You have more options and you have better options. And the only yeah. problem with immunotherapy at the moment is that it's extremely expensive. Cost. Mm. Yeah. It costs a lot of money. It's not uh, like cheap. It's some of the medical aids on the high tier, tier plans are paying. Definitely it's not available except on clinical trials on state hospitals if they have an approved clinical trial unit. Uh, it's, uh, it's available uh, also on some of the private practices like us that we run a clinical trial unit, but not on every cancer. And sometimes, like for example, on melanoma, we used to have a clinical trial that finished now. We don't have a replacement in our site um, for skin cancer, you know. And there is a... Yeah, there is a, the, the, the medical aids, they pay, some of them pay, not all of them. Hopefully, as happens with all the new treatments, uh, prices will drop down in the, in the near future, you know. Mm. Let's hope we see changes with that. Before we say goodbye, Professor, just very, very quickly before you go, are you finding that because of COVID and people are very cautious about visiting doctors and going to hospitals, that people are not going as regularly for their checkups as they would normally? I think it's a problem globally, eh? and yeah. I think it's important that you mention it because, you see, they don't go to the doctors because they are scared of going to the hospital, and they've done studies in America and in Europe now that the, 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 the cost, from the point of view of medical and financial costs, is becoming tremendous also because patients, instead of coming with a, a one small lump in the breast or early colon or rectum cancer, they come with more advanced disease, which is more expensive to manage and the outcomes are worse. Mm-hmm. So these people have to be aware that if you have a serious condition or a complaint, you must see your GP like you used to do it. Otherwise, you, it's like you're going to denial and you might come with a, a serious diagnosis late and it's impossible to treat after or the outcomes are worse eh? if the patient mm-hmm. presents with more advanced disease. Like, for example, in breast cancer, if it's stage one, it's a very good outcome as opposed to stage three. You might still be able to treat it. But it's, the outcome is going to be worse. The, the five-year survival decreases with the stage of presentation. That's very well known. That mm-hmm. it's not new that. 
Yeah. So you heard the COVID was bad news in terms of the lockdown in, because uh, people came with, uh, we've seen here uh, people coming with more, not everyone, but the people coming with more advanced type of disease. Yeah? Mm. Thank you for that, uh, Professor Rappaport. I think very important for people to still go for their, their, their checkups. You know what you should do? They should weigh the benefit and risks, you know? So yes, it's true. It's a benefit, the, the risk of COVID. Now we find so we have the vaccine coming, hopefully everyone. Yeah, but on the other hand, if you come with a, later with a diagnosis like this, or like heart disease or cancer or whatever, it's more more difficult to treat. It's much more mm. difficult to treat. Mm. Professor, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. It's a pleasure working with you also, Nikki. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much for calling us. Eh? Thank, Thank you, you, Professor. Take care. Professor Bernardo Rappaport, um, he's with the Medical Oncology Center of Rosebank and an extraordinary professor at the Department of Immunology, the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Pretoria, talking about immunotherapy. We're going to take a break. After the break, I'm going to be speaking to author Nikki Robotham, who's just written a book called Seven Steps to Finding Flow, and she talks a lot about stress. And we know handling stress, our health um, really helps with um, all sorts of prevention of all sorts of diseases. So please hold, wait, don't go anywhere. We're about to have a a very interesting conversation. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.